Hampton Healthcare, a network of neighborhood clinics, specialty centers, hospital, and Minnesota's level one adult and pediatric promise center presents Healthy Matters. As always, consult your personal physician if you have health concerns. Here's Denny Long with Hennepin Healthcare Internal Medicine Physician, Dr. David Hilden. And good morning, Dr. Hilden, as we say, is on assignment. He's taking the day off today. But our special guest, who's been here a number of times, Dr. Benji Varghese, is with us. Uh, good morning, Doctor. It's nice to see you again. Good morning, Kenny. Glad to be back. Again. Sleep well last night? I did. Okay. I did. <laughs> we'll find out why. <laughs> but that's our topic today, uh, sleep issues, sleep disorders. Uh, you having problems with sleep, you want to call us or text us. Uh, the same number applies, 651-989-9226. Dr. Varghese is the medical director of the Minnesota Regional Sleep Disorder Center at Hennepin Healthcare. Uh, his interest in the neuroscience and consciousness drive a passion to understand human behavior in its relation to sleep and mental well-being. And while using up-to-date evidence-based data to formulate balanced treatment plans allows for positive clinical outcomes, he firmly believes that personal transformation occurs experientially through the trust of the patient-doctor relationship. Boy, I agree with that for sure. Um, you and I were talking off the air, and I wanted to ask you, you and I know, and some of our listeners know, that uh, that I have uh, continually sleep with a CPAP unit. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit, or a lot, depending, on uh, on obs- obstructive sleep uh, apnea. But maybe we could, at least in that issue, what, how do you define that? What, what What is that? And what does CPAP mean? Yeah. So obstructive sleep apnea, there's two kinds of sleep apnea, but the most common is obstructive sleep apnea. And what happens when we sleep at night is that the tissue in the back of our throat, including our tongue, relaxes. That makes sense, right? When yeah. we sleep, our muscles relax. The soft tissue in the back of the throat relaxes. And occasionally, that tissue relaxes so much so that the airway gets closed off. The tongue sort of occludes that airway and oxygen doesn't get into our lungs. And when that happens repetitively throughout the night, we choke and we gasp and we're not getting the sleep that we're getting. And our heart is having to work a little bit harder. And that over time can cause problems, which can include feeling sleepy during the daytime because we're not getting the good quality sleep we need. But over time, this is wear and tear on the heart. And as you mentioned, a CPAP, CPAP stands for Continuous Positive Airway Pressure. And what that machine does is it's a little machine that blows warm, gentle, humidified air through the nose or through the mouth to keep that airway open. It's not a breathing machine. You're doing all the breathing. It's just pneumatically keeping that airway open. Some people have asked me over the years, especially back then, oh, you have to take oxygen. Well, I mean, there is oxygen, but it's not, you're not on oxygen. No, no, this is not an oxygen concentrator. This is just using simple old room air yeah. that's humidified and it's uh, pretty comfortable. It really is. Now, some guy, in fact, it, it's, uh, I haven't talked to women about it, but I've talked to more guys over the years that have said, yeah, I was diagnosed, but I can't. I can't use that mask. Yeah. What, uh, what, what do you tell these patients? Well, this is not an uncommon problem. And part of the reason, and we, you know, the number one reason why people continue using their CPAP is they feel good in the morning when they use the yeah. machine. But if they don't, it might be due to their mask. It might be due to the wrong pressures. We can do a lot of different things. One, change the mask out. Maybe the mask isn't fitting correctly. It might be that the pressure needs a little bit of an adjustment. Sometimes we get the patient back into the to the lab and see whether they might be a candidate for a BiPAP, which does the same thing as a CPAP essentially for sleep apnea, but it's more comfortable. So there are things that we can do. And, you know, sometimes people aren't CPAP players and we need to 
try alternative methods, and, and we could talk about those. Did uh, And I know we're talking specifically about the obstructive sleep apnea right now, uh, but tell us a little bit, I'll tell you what, let's take a phone call. Then I want to talk about the sleep, uh, the, the center sure. that you, uh, you t- are in charge of there. It's a great place. Uh, Janet is calling from uh, St. Louis Park, I believe. Janet, you're on with the doctor. Oh, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, how important is it to clean your machine daily, and do you recommend those um, those expensive new machines that, that clean it? Thank you. I'll hang up and listen. All right, Janet. Thank, thank you. you. Now, what about keeping that CPAP clean? I think it's important. It is important to keep the CPAP clean, but... Uh, these new devices that are on the market, uh, and I won't name them by name, but what they're essentially doing is that they're uh, blowing, the the majority of them are blowing ozone, which is Mm. radicalized oxygen to try and clean the machine. It's a little overkill. You don't really need these machines to keep your machine clean. All you need to do is make sure you use distilled water in your humidifier tank Take your tank and in the morning, remove any distilled water that might be remaining and let it air dry. Take your mask, use a little bit of soap and water and wipe the mask and all the oils that's, that's accumulated over the night. That should be good. Now, in terms of the hosing, about once a week, what I suggest is taking some white vinegar, a little bit of distilled water, sloshing a little bit of white vinegar and, and uh, water in that uh, tube and letting it air dry, making sure you clean all of that vinegar out. That's all you really need to do. Yeah, that's kind of what I do. Yeah, it, yeah, it works like like a charm. Now let's talk. <clears throat> excuse me about the Sleep Disorder Center at uh, Hennepin Health. What what what's that about there? What does it look like, and and what what different sleep issues do you study there? Well, let me. I'm I'm really privileged to work there. I've got some wonderful colleagues that that are there. I you know the sleep center was built in 1978. It was it's one of the oldest sleep centers in the country. It has an accredited sleep fellowship program. We have an interdisciplinary faculty, which means we have psychiatrists, including myself. We have neurologists. We have pediatric neurologists. We have people that are pulmonary ICU critical care trained that are also sleep trained. We have dentistry involved. We have colleagues that are an ear, nose, and throat and maxillofacial surgeon. We have a behavioral sleep medicine program so we can treat people with insomnia. Um, And we treat Everything We treat everything from sleep apnea to insomnias to people that have some rare sleepwalking uh, uh, conditions and especially a condition that was diagnosed at uh, the sleep center or, or discovered at the sleep center at HCMC called REM sleep behavior disorder. Uh, and that was discovered by Dr. Mahawald and Dr. Schenk. And we now know that that condition, which if I can briefly describe, sure. is a condition where we act out our dreams violently – we shouldn't be acting out our dreams at all. But that that condition can sometimes be an early marker for neurodegenerative disorders later in life. Hmm. Wow. I've heard stories about, I mean, people, I wanted to ask you about that thinking, and I think you've relayed these stories before when you were here, about people actually driving. They can, they're, they're asleep, but they're actually driving automobiles. This is the fascinating thing about sleep, Danny. We, we really think... When we think about sleep, we think that we go into this off mode. We're awake when yeah. we're awake, and then we go to sleep, and our brain is offline. That couldn't be further from the truth. Our brain is still processing to a certain degree. It may not be as awake as when we're awake right now, but it's still processing. In some patients that are sort of wired to have these sort of sleepwalking incidents or sleep-driving incidents, 
there's sort of a dissociation or a breakup of that normal boundary between wake and sleep. So we have sort of a superposition or a, a combination of both sleep behaviors and wake behaviors. So your brain is half asleep and sort of awake as, as well. So you might drive your car, you might go downstairs and cook some food, you might sleepwalk and, and sleep talk. It's, it's fascinating. Wasn't there a case, and I, I'm, I'm trying to think if it was a, if, uh, either a retired or an active police officer that like jumped or dove out of his bed Something like that? Am I am I right about? Did you, you hear about that? This is again. This is not uncommon. It's mm. these uh, pretty horrific accidents are fairly uncommon, but these sleepwalking incidents, which can lead to catastrophic uh, injuries, are 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 not uncommon. Um, and and so we can't really control ourselves when we're doing this. And it's really important that if you have a history of having these sleepwalking incidents, to at least let your doctor know, and then. They can make a decision on whether this is something that needs to be, you know, looked into further. Because sometimes sleep apnea can be a trigger for mm. breaking people's sleep and causing these wakefulness behaviors. And we need to figure out what's causing it so something catastrophic doesn't occur in the future. All right. Hang on. We need to take a break, doctor. We'll uh, do that and invite our listeners to join in. We have callers. We have texters. If you do have a question, if you have a sleep issue about you or someone you care about, call us or text us. Same number applies. That's 651 651- Nine eight nine nine two two six. Bob in Minneapolis, you're going to be next when we come back uh, after this break. 33 degrees in the Twin Cities, and colder weather is on the way. We expect uh, low tonight, about 23, and snow coming in overnight. And tomorrow, maybe by tomorrow, two to four inches. You stay tuned. Eight three zero WCCO. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to uh, Healthy Matters. We're talking about sleep issues today. Dr. Hilden taking the day off today. Our friend Dr. Renji Varghese is uh, the medical director of the Minnesota Regional Sleep Disorder Center at Hennepin, at Hennepin Healthcare, inviting your uh, calls or your text messages. And we have Dr. Both. So let's uh, put you back to work. Uh, let's see. Who is first up here? would be Bob, who's calling from uh, Minneapolis. Bob, go ahead. You're on CCO. Um, hi, I'm 79 years old, and I have a lot of difficulty staying up late. This seems to be a problem that a lot of older people have. I get enough sleep, uh, seven hours a night usually. I would like to sleep from like 10 to 5 or 11 to 6. I wind up sleeping more like 8 to 3, and I would I would like to reset my body clock so I could stay up later. Uh, why do old people have this problem, and what's the solution to it? Thanks, Bob. Uh, good question. So, you know, no, most people tend to feel sleepy at a certain time and feel very awake in the morning at a certain time, and that's really uh, a, a part of our circadian rhythm, our sleep circadian rhythm. Some people sleep a little bit later, and we call them night owls, and some people tend to sleep significantly earlier relative to the normative population, and we call them morning larks. Um, so in your case, what you're suggesting is that you might be sleeping earlier than you want to and wake up a little bit earlier than, than you want to. Uh, in these cases, um, there are certain things that you can do, and that is um, one, of the, one of the main things that resets our circadian clock is light, sun, especially sunlight. Um, for people that tend to be really delayed or are night owls, we tend to we we, we recommend that we, they get as much sunlight in the morning. We might recommend using melatonin at a specific time, but for patients that have 
um, an advanced schedule, we do recommend uh, avoiding a lot of light in the morning and perhaps getting more light, bright light in the evening. So I'm not suggesting anything specific for you, but there are ways that we can sort of tackle this. uh, And it uses uh, strategically timed light therapy and using melatonin at a certain time. Um, But this is – we tend to see people that are more delayed than are advanced. What You mentioned melatonin a couple of times. What exactly does that do? Melatonin is a natural hormone that is secreted by a part of our brain called the pineal gland. And when we are ready to fall asleep, the pineal gland secretes this little hormone called melatonin. And melatonin is the thing that starts to tell the rest of the brain, hey, it's time to fall asleep. And so the rest of the brain starts to prepare ourselves and makes us start to feel that sleepy feeling. If you're not getting enough melatonin or um, uh, if you're getting too much light, by the way, this is how light affects it. Light suppresses melatonin from being secreted. So in the evening time when your melatonin is supposed to be secreted at 8 o'clock at night and you get way too much light in the evening or too much light from your phones or or the lights, that melatonin that's naturally secreted isn't being secreted. It's being suppressed and we tend to feel sleepier later. Later. Yeah. We're hearing a lot more, many more stories about uh, screen time. Uh, you mentioned phone or iPad or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Uh, what is the light they talk about? Is it a blue light? Uh, what, what's the deal there? That's exactly right. So light in general has a, a, a spectrum. We have all these different colors in, uh, in white light, and blue light is one of those uh, uh, part of the spectrum. In the, the screens that we use, the light that comes off them, the, especially the blue light that gets emanated from the, these screens, it can suppress that melatonin secretion. You'd have to use it a lot. And it has to be fairly, fairly close to your eyes. But it is affecting our ability to fall asleep because it's suppressing that natural melatonin secretion. But I think more importantly, when we talk about phones and iPads or cell phones uh, or smart uh, devices, um, it's not just that light. It's the engagement that we have with these devices right before bedtime. Before bedtime, we need to relax. We need to sort of just separate from anything other than what is associated with sleep. But if we're thinking about work, if we're Facebooking, we're looking at some things that might be disruptive, our minds are mentally engaged in these things. So we need to be able to disengage from these things so our minds are relaxed enough to be able to fall asleep. Makes a lot of sense when you think about it. 651-989-9226 is the text number and the phone number. So call the doctor or send a text. We pick up on both. John and uh, Anoka is first up here. John, you're on CCO with the doctor. Hey there, doctor. A quick question for you. I travel quite extensively in my job, and I I have two CPAPs, one for home and one for travel. Because of the size of the CPAP, I, uh, I tend to not bring the humidifier with me when I travel wherever it might be. And I've kind of gotten used to not having that moisture uh, along with that. So I've now changed out my one at home to just blow room air. Is there any problems or concerns or issues by not having humidified air throughout the day or in the evening? No. Uh, the humidifier is purely for comfort. What we learned in the past is if that some people became very sensitive to the effects of air going through their nose. That may, may make sense. And their, their very wet mucosal membranes, the inside of their nose, would get dry, and then they would get congested, and it was very uncomfortable. Some people are not affected by that. So for folks that don't need the humidification system, 
it's purely for comfort. It has no effect on the actual clinical efficacy of the, the machine. And in some cases, not in my case, but uh, there, there's a, uh, a, a, a nasal and then there's a full mouth, right? Absolutely. So these How masks, do you know which is, which is good for the, for the patient? The, 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 the mask that's right for the patient is the one that the patient uses. Isn't it's, that true? That's simple. It's all about comfort. It's about the right fit. And if a patient likes a particular mask that they feel that they can use, that's the mask for them. All right. All right, let's see. There's a text that came in. I, want to, I do not want to forget about our textures, too. Uh, this one, uh, doctor, uh, the uses a CPAP and takes, is it Seroquel? Yeah. Is that it? Uh, took a third at 1 a.m. after no sleep. Last night, took a third at 1 a.m., did not sleep. I am concerned. What can yeah. you say about that yeah, generally? Uh, so it's not uncommon for people that have uh, obstructive sleep apnea to also have difficulties with sleep. This medication occasionally, it's used for uh, other reasons, but occasionally this medication can be very sedating and can help with sleep. Uh, we don't routinely use this for sleep, by the way, but some people do. Um, and what it sounds is is that the, the sleep apnea may be being treated by the CPAP, but if it, you have difficulty getting to sleep with medications, then there may be something else going on, like an insomnia difficulty winding down before bedtime, um, a ruminating mind. You know, sometimes restless legs can be a cause of, of not being able to get to sleep at night. Um, so is that I, pretty common? Oh, restless legs is exceedingly common. A lot of it's benign. It usually doesn't have, you know, any consequences. It's just sort of bothersome. You'd have to walk around a lot. But um, it can be pretty disruptive to the extent that people cannot get to sleep they wake up from their sleep and have to move around or walk around to feel comfortable um, and disrupt their sleep. Now, I don't know what uh, John, uh, our caller's uh, case is, but it sounds like there might be a case of insomnia or difficulty getting to sleep. And at that point, I would recommend uh, an evaluation. Okay. Tell you what, Doctor, we have another half hour of the show to go. If you have a question, we're going to talk about other things like restless leg, like insomnia, things like that. When we come back, we'll uh, talk and certainly welcome your phone calls and text messages. Uh, 651-989-9226. Call in now. Don't wait till the last minute. We'll, we'd love to help you out. So uh, don't wait. Call and text right now. In the Twin Cities, 33 degrees. We'll have a look at that forecast coming up. And welcome back to this portion of uh, Healthy Matters. Dr. Hilden taking the day off today. Uh, Dr. Renji Varghese is with us again. Uh, we're talking about sleep issues. It's a big topic, and I know we're just kind of scratching the surface. So if you have uh, any kind of a question, whether it be, like we mentioned, uh, uh, sleep apnea or uh, restless leg or insomnia, things like that, uh, do call us or send a text if that's easier. Same number, 651-989-9226. Uh, Dr. Mary in uh, Apple Valley, I believe, has been waiting there on the line. Mary, thank you. What can we do for you? Oh, good morning. This was the morning to be listening for me. <laughs> I have a question. Um, it doesn't make any difference what time of the night I go to bed. I seem to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I cannot get back to sleep. It's like my mind won't shut down to relax, to fall back to sleep. What am I going to be able to do? Um, a friend of mine told me that I should take Benadryl, and I did that for the last three nights, and actually I did sleep uh, seven to eight hours. Otherwise, I'm only sleeping three to four hours. Mary, thanks for your call. This is not uncommon. Um, you have a, 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 a condition that I would describe something called maintenance insomnia. 
Um, and now what maintenance insomnia is, you have no difficulty getting to sleep, but for some reason, people wake up in the middle of the night and have difficulty falling back asleep. Uh, it could be a number of different reasons, and we won't know unless you have an evaluation, but some people wake up from their restless legs. Some people have undiagnosed sleep apnea that tends to wake them up. Sometimes there might be anxiety in an individual's life. Usually what happens is that patients awaken, they have difficulty getting back to sleep initially, they start looking at the clock, they start getting frustrated, that frustration drives even more sort of a heightened arousal, and they're not relaxed enough to be able to fall back asleep. If that pattern persists for a number of days and weeks, it can become an ingrained pattern. And so what we need to do is break the cycle. The mainstay treatment if this is a maintenance insomnia, is a, uh, a non-medication treatment called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And this will include a couple of behavioral treatments, cognitive treatments by a licensed psychologist that talks to you about good sleep hygiene behaviors, good techniques of what to do and what not to do around sleep. Uh, and it is significantly more effective and without any side effect than medication. So I want to point out that the fact that the Benadryl, while it may be effective, we're starting to see that medications like um, diphenhydramine, which is the main component in Benadryl, and some of these other over-the-counter sleep aids, we want to dissuade people from using these medications because there's some correlating evidence that people that use these medications can have memory deficits later in life. So if we can get away from using medications to help our sleep, it's better in the long run. All right, very good. 651-989-9226. That's the phone number. That's the text number. Speaking of which, here's the text, doctor. Uh, my husband refuses to have a sleep study because, quote, they will for sure diagnose me with apnea. How do you convince a patient to go? He already, by the way, has uh, atrial flutter. There are issues already, she says. Yeah, no, this is the uh, this is this is the issue is that um, people are concerned that they may have sleep disorder breathing and and you have to figure out what is the the actual concern if he finds out that he has apnea, is it fear about uh, having to use a CPAP or what have you? In either case, we know that obstructive sleep apnea is highly correlated with arrhythmias, including atrial fibrillation and atrial flutter. Um, what I usually tell patients is if they're concerned is it doesn't hurt to do the actual study. The study just gives us information. The study will give us information on whether it's mild sleep apnea, if it's there, or severe sleep apnea. doesn't mean we have to do anything about it. It just gives us knowledge and information to make a decision about what to do. Um, in cases of mild sleep apnea, sometimes we don't do anything. We just kind of let the patient uh, maybe lose weight, position themselves on their sides. But it's a, if it's severe sleep apnea, we can at least have a conversation. Uh, and I always say that knowledge is power, and I, I give that power to my patients. And, and we try and walk alongside each other and decide what's best for, for each other. But I never push people into doing anything that they don't want until they're ready. Okay. I want to make mention, too, that if you want to schedule an appointment with uh, Dr. Vigizzi at uh, the uh, Minnesota Regional Sleep Disorders Center, I urge you to do so if you, if you or your loved one think there, there's, there, there are issues. Uh, or if you need just a primary care doc, here's the same number, 612-873-MYMD. 
That translates to 612-873-6963. What happens, maybe you can describe it when a patient does come in. Let's say uh, um, they think they may have uh, sleep apnea or maybe whatever other issue. Mm -hmm. How to... Give us, talk us through that yeah. process. So a patient comes in through the door. They fill out a brief questionnaire. Um, w- they're seen by one of us, one of our physicians. Uh, we spend a good deal of time listening about their sleep troubles, uh, when they get to sleep, uh, how their sleep is, how sleepy they are during the daytime, what sort of symptoms, including sleep apnea, that, that might be there. We, we assess for other conditions, including restless legs, um, a condition called parasomnias, which are behaviors that arise during sleep. Uh, and then we decide, uh, we do a physical examination, of course, and then we decide um, what to do next. If it happens to be that the patient might be at risk for sleep apnea, then we may decide to do a sleep study. Now, at, at HCMC, we can do sleep studies in the lab where we have the patient sleep overnight. But if it's a slam-dunk case of someone who might have sleep apnea, we can send them home now with a device that can also diagnose sleep apnea fairly effectively. Um, If we think that there's another sleep condition that might warrant a sleep study like uh, some – an exotic – like like I said, REM sleep behavior disorder, we have them sleep overnight. Um, We put some wires on their head to look at their brain rhythm activity. Uh, And the following morning, which is unique here at HCMC, we give our results to our patients the following morning rather than having them come back for in for another visit. Uh, And then again, we decide what to do after the the results of that sleep study. And it's not – we don't always have to do a sleep study either. If it's insomnia or if it's restless legs, um, uh, we might just prescribe a medication for the restless legs or or assess other things. And and there are, like you said, machines these days that can uh, – accumulate data and send it back to you too, right? Well, the CPAP machines are getting smart. Yeah, they are. Then it's really wonderful for us because when a patient comes back in, we have a report of how they've done. We can, um, we can get information on whether the sleep apnea is being corrected, whether it's working. We can get information on whether the, the mask itself is leaking too much. We know exactly what pressures the patient's on. We know how often they're using it. So it's, it's really useful for the patient and especially for us to make a, a, a guided information. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Dr. John is calling from uh, Eden Prairie. John, you're on CCO. Hi, good morning. Uh, I'm 70 years old, retired. I never take naps. I'm considered obese by my doctor. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I dream every single night, remember my dreams in the morning, and I sleep very well, but Friends that know me say, oh, you have to have sleep apnea. I've never been tested, and I don't feel I need to be. Yeah, good question. Okay, so you don't have to have sleep apnea. Uh, The prevalence for sleep apnea tends to be, depending on how you uh, define mild or moderate, uh, about 10% of men will have moderate obstructive sleep apnea, about 20% 20% of men will have at least mild sleep apnea. 20% is a big yeah, figure. It's a, it's a big number. It's a big number. But mild sleep apnea doesn't mean that we have to do something about it. It just means that it might be there. Um, the main symptoms for sleep apnea, maybe we should go through this. The sure. main symptoms of sleep apnea or obstructive sleep apnea can be loud, disruptive snoring, snort arousals or waking up from snoring, um, uh, people that might see you sleep and see you stopping breathing at night dry mouth when you wake up in the morning, 
headaches when you wake up in the morning, feeling sleepy during the daytime. Those are the sort of the main features of having sleep apnea. Now, the caveat is this. You don't have to have a lot of those symptoms to actually have sleep apnea, and you can have some of those symptoms and not have sleep apnea. But a lot of people used to say, well, my husband snores like crazy. I bet he's got sleep apnea, but yeah. that is not necessarily. You can have just simple snoring and not yeah. have sleep okay. apnea, but the odds are loud, disruptive snoring tends to be at least mild dis- uh, sleep disorder breathing. All right, we need to take a quick break. Folks on the line, stay there. Texters will get uh, caught up on uh, your questions as well. 33 degrees here in 830 WCCO. And welcome back to Healthy Matters this morning. We're talking about sleep issues. If you have a question, we have a, a bunch, both phone and text messages for Dr. Renji Varghese here on CCO. Now, uh, Becky is calling from North St. Paul, and we'll grab some text messages. Becky, what can we do for you? Um, I wake up at night. Um, I started three weeks ago on a CPAP, and I wake up at night with burning, itching feet, I have been diagnosed with restless leg syndrome. They tried increasing the medication for that, and that didn't help. And I just can't stop my feet from itching. And it's only at night. Um, I sleep till probably 1 o'clock. I do have uh, vitamin B levels that were high. I don't know if there's any correlation with that. Okay. That's burning, itching feet is a sort of a broad uh, uh, symptom, but I don't. I do hear people sit telling me that when they have um, when they awaken at night and they have a discomfort in their feet or in their legs, uh, I do start thinking about restless legs, and I'll just kind of describe what it is to people. Sure, uh, restless legs is a condition where there's a there doesn't have to be any specific like description of the the feeling it's almost indescribable to patients they have a difficult time describing what it feels like but it can be burning it can be itchy it can be pulling aching straining sometimes people describe it as like energy underneath their skin it's usually their legs but it can affect their leg uh, their arms and their torso too but uh, it usually occurs restless legs usually occurs in the evening time or worse at night. It can occur when they sit for extended periods of time, like on an airplane or in a car. The, those symptoms are temporarily alleviated with movement. So if the, the, this experience um, uh, is associated with an intense urge to have to move, people need to move to make it feel a little bit better. And when they stop, those symptoms return. Um, so I'm not sure what this is, but if it sounds something like that, it could be restless legs. Um, but burning, itching feet could be a number of different things. It could be the beginnings of a neuropathy uh, and so forth. So I think the best thing to do is to get this evaluated yeah. before it gets worse. Because what would happen, uh, as Becky was saying three weeks ago, is that if she continually has these awakenings, it's going to frustrate her. And if she gets frustrated in the middle of the night when she's trying to sleep, she's going to get It's going to say it gets worse. Yeah, it's going to turn into an insomnia on top of whatever's happening. Well, here's a text, doctor, that uh, not only this person uses a CPAP at a chin strap, but my doctor recently prescribed gabapentin for restless leg. Recent news reports he uh, said uh, of this drug are concerning. Do you think it's safe? 
So far, what we know is that gabapentin is exceedingly safe for people at the right doses and the right patient. Uh, we don't like to use any medication if we don't have to use medication. For restless legs, for example, some people can get away with just walking around for a few minutes right before bedtime to be able to relax them and get to bed. Sometimes hot baths can be helpful. Massages can be helpful for restless legs. In When we need to use medications for restless legs, we use a host of different things, dopamine agonists, gabapentin. We sometimes use um, uh, some sedating medications as well. And we only use those medications if those other treatments are ineffective and if the restless legs are disruptive enough that people aren't able to get to sleep at night. How can you tell? You mentioned a couple of different uh, types of uh, sleep apnea. And this texter wants to know how, how are the treatments differ? How do they differ? So the two main uh, types of sleep apnea is obstructive sleep apnea and central sleep apnea. Uh, 90% of people have obstructive sleep apnea and the minority have central sleep apnea. They're two different beasts. Obstructive sleep apnea, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, is that the airway in the back of the throat tends to relax and the airway closes off. So there's a mechanical obstruction of air not getting into the lungs. In central sleep apnea, the, the brain isn't sending signals to the lungs to breathe. So the airway is open, but the, the computer isn't sending information to the blower, if you will, to start. So the treatments are very different. In central sleep apnea, you have to figure out, well, what might be causing it? Sometimes opioid medications can cause central sleep apnea. Sometimes things in the brain, like little lesions, Arnold Chiari malformations can cause central sleep apnea. Um, and sometimes it's exceedingly common that we don't need to do anything about it. The treatments might be similar. It may be a different type of machine, but it's usually trying to identify what is causing it. For obstructive sleep apnea, a sleep CPAP is probably the best treatment and is the gold standard treatment. For central sleep apnea, we try and identify what might be causing it and then treat that condition to see if we can treat this central sleep apnea. Doctor, we have uh, about a minute and a half or so to go. Uh, we, one thing we didn't want to, we haven't touched on yet is uh, people who have to work all night, you know? Like I, I always had a tough time working the midnight to 6 a.m. shows. Could, could never make it through the next day. A lot of do most people can they get a handle that all right? No, 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 no. We as humans evolved with the sun, and we are, are that light has created the circadian rhythm or, or entrains the circadian rhythm. Very small percent of the population that can actually do an overnight job. We treat a lot of patients that work overnights because they're sick. And they're sick because they're not getting the sleep, yeah. the, well, not enough sleep sometimes when they come back home, but the sleep is fragmented and the sleep is not quality and their brains and their bodies are off kilter to what their circadian rhythm actually is. We're out of time. We could do it a couple more hours. Let's, ha let's have you back here on CCO. I'd appreciate it. Thank right. you. If you want to get in touch, schedule an appointment with Dr. Vegas at the Minnesota Regional Sleep Disorders Center or really any other Hennepin healthcare provider 612-873-6963.